Time Out Magazine calls the first movie in this franchise seminal law and order cinema. Barbara Schulgasser of Common Sense Media calls the next film in this series a cop sequel that has lots of violence, sex, and profanity. And Roger Ebert, who loves these movies, reviews the fourth movie in the series, saying, To all those cowboy movies we saw in our youth, all those TV westerns and cop dramas and war movies, this film has brought a great simplification. A big man, a big gun, a bad guy, and instant justice. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Dirty Harry. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. That's it. I was I knew that was coming. Oh, you know what? It's like it's iconic. Where it's you know, Dirty Harry, man, it's Clint. Yeah. Uh this is our our second foray into the Eastwood averse. Uh, you know, after <laughs> covering the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we haven't done any other Clint Eastwoods, have we? I don't think so. No, I was trying to... Nothing uh, he even directed or anything, huh? Yeah. No, I... Yeah, I, I think this is really our... It's our first foray into an Eastwood... Well, an East, I guess the only Eastwood franchises are really this and and The Man With No Name right, trilogy. Right, right, right. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of... I guess we've done... And East, Clint Eastwood... And we'll talk about him, uh, you know, a, a bit more. I'm sure it's unavoidable. But Clint Eastwood, you know, has had iconic roles and uh, has made iconic films for for decades. But, you know, like The Man With No Name and Dirty Harry were kind of like the two characters that defined him in those two different worlds. And it was like a lot of his other characters were maybe not derivative of that, but like every cowboy character he played after the man with no name happened because of that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, he never really played like Mr. Chipper from down the street. You know, he was always kind of the, like the dark mysterious, uh, well, Gran Torino, he's, he's Mr. Maybe not Mr. Chipper from down the street. No, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I mean, he kind of just like, made his mark doing that kind of stuff. I was originally going to say he that, that he wasn't like a song and dance man, but, you know, on Rawhide, <laughs> you know, he, he was a song man. So I, I wouldn't have been correct in saying you know, that and, so much. And I want to say... Paint it was Rawhide that he was on, right? He was on... Uh, was he on Rawhide or Gunsmoke? No, yeah, I think he, he was... Uh, I believe he was on Rawhide. Yeah, we, I think it's you Rawhide. Know, we're, yeah, here we are ready to talk about Clint Eastwood, and we're like, uh, I don't know. How did his career start? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah it was uh, Rawhide. I don't know why I was second-guessing about I second-guessed first. Anyway. So I third-guessed? I third-guessed? You, you oh. third-guessed. Yeah, so uh, h- anyway. hello, everybody. Welcome Hi. to Ruined Childhoods. Yes. Uh, you know, right after we recorded our last episode, I texted Dan, and I said, we really messed up, because our <laughs> episode... One, two, three. This is episode 123. And I was like, man, we should have done the taking of Pelham one, two, three. Or like, there's so many other things where one, two, three would have made sense. And 
Uh, but Although I don't, I you know, I thought I thought about that too. I was like, were there other? The only th- other thing I could think about was like Sesame Street. I, yeah, I was thinking something along like, those do lines. We do too. follow that bird? Which, by the way, as I was looking through IMDb at movies that are coming out over like the next year, uh, <laughs> for absolutely no reason, uh, I noticed that there is a new Sesame Street movie expected oh, in twenty twenty two. A straight up Sesame Street movie. I knew there was going to be a new Muppet movie. Straight up Sesame Street. Okay. It's like and it, the the title I think is Sesame Street. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So and uh, you know I I don't know if it if it you know if follow that bird is included in the uh, the the canon there or yeah I don't know but uh, yeah follow the bird I believe my first movie theater ex- experience. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you know what yours was? I don't. That's surprising. Yeah. Not in the no, sense that I, you would remember it. It's just that I've been told that Follow That Bird was my my first movie theater right. experience. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't. Yeah. Of all of the, the, the movie experiences I, I remember, uh, they say you never forget your first. Well, I, I did. Uh, <laughs> I guess probably because I was like probably super young. Yeah. Uh, I might have been i i want to say like maybe like a like a 101 dalmatians or like lady in the oh, like a or re-release. something like that oh yeah but i could also be totally right totally off yeah. on that well you know if we're talking about uh you know going back to the theater i i said in the last episode my first time back to the theater since covid was uh the sparks brothers the documentary about uh russell and ron male but uh, I went back for a second time to see F9, the latest in the Fast and Furious franchise last night, because I was uh, given a forced night away from responsibilities from my wife. Uh, a forced night away? Well, yeah, she was just like, Friday night, just fuck off. Like, in in a nice way. It was just like a... You know what? After you pick up the kid from school, just take off. I got it. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you want. And there's not much to do. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll see what movies are playing. And I was like, you know what? That's one that I'm not going to enjoy as much sitting at home. So here we go. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it's a Fast and the Furious movie. I like them better when The Rock is in them. And this one did not have him in them. John Cena is not a suitable no. substitution for The Rock. I liked John Cena a lot in the movie Cock Blockers, or Blockers, I think is, is what oh, they yeah, officially yeah, called it, yeah. which is a very fun, like, I'm pretty sure it's an R-rated comedy, uh, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and he's great in that. Yeah, I mean, I liked him in uh, Trainwreck. He has he a, had a very small, role, small in role in Trainwreck, but... Right, right. But I still, you know, I enjoy and I as a pro wrestling fan, yeah, I've been watching John Cena since he was you know, since before he started doing his Vanilla Ice impersonations, <laughs> which is kind of what got him over as a wrestler. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. So, um Yeah, I mean, he was fine yeah. in it, but like he he wasn't Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. No. Well, who is other than Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson? Johnson? 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it's one of those movies where there are parts of it that are like laughably bad and completely ridiculous. But who cares? It's it's a Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, that's kind of what you're what you're yeah. going in for. Yeah. Uh, and I also was briefly at a, a not a movie theater, but a cinema experience. And uh, we'll talk about this also again a little bit later, but uh, the organization that I work for here in Portland, Oregon, the Northwest Film Center, is hosting a series of summer movies. And I went to the very first one of the series the other night. They were showing The Life Aquatic on a uh, the rooftop of it's a, uh, a shopping mall's like parking structure. So uh, that was uh, fun to go take pictures and do videos and stuff over there so they were doing life aquatic what's up no it's just it's funny because that that sentence and like i love and like you guys have an awesome lineup uh but it's so funny because that sentence like had a like a pitfall of of coolness because it went from like all right we showed the life aquatics so like all right cool i'm like that's actually one of my one of the wes anderson films that's like yeah. more towards the top of my of my list uh uh-huh. i love that when i saw that in the theater and and then you were like, oh yeah we're, we're showing it on a rooftop i'm like oh yeah that's cool of the parking structure at a shopping mall well, okay, then let me. I can't okay, right does now. it help it if I tell you that the shopping mall contains a Suncoast video? Does that help? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. We're back in. Yeah, the Lloyd Center. If anybody is uh, familiar with the Lloyd Center in Portland, it's on the the roof of the the Lloyd Center parking structure, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's you know beer and wine and food and all sorts of good stuff. And uh, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of awesome movies there. And we're also doing a drive-in theater at OMSI, which if anybody isn't familiar with OMSI, it's the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. So it's your typical science museum, but they uh, are hosting our outdoor drive-in theater stuff. So if you go to nwfilm.org, NW is in Northwest nwfilm.org then you can see the full slate and buy tickets i purchased tickets to go see what we're going to be covering on our next episode that's going to be showing uh on uh saturday night of uh, next week a week from when we're recording this actually so but we won't be we we will reveal that at, at the end of the episode of course you you can yes. also go to the website that john just gave you yes and, and also if you are listening to this like the morning it comes out, then you may still have a chance to vote for Statue of Limitations on the uh, myroadcast.com. It's uh, the road microphone company. It's their annual podcast competition. If you go to myroadcast.com, actually, if you go to our link tree, there's a link to it in there. So mm. it's linktr.ee slash ruin childhoods. Um, yeah, check that out. It's uh, There's a link to it in this episode's description too anyway off topic let's get back on you know what though it's on the topic because uh statue of limitations is a great idea for for the for for a podcast but it's something and you and i have talked about this this is something that requires care 
yes. thought and funding. Right. So essentially, uh, if anybody's listened to this podcast before and has heard us talk about something that we've been calling the hindsight awards, where it's like, in hindsight, maybe this should have been, you know, an Oscar contender or something like that. And uh, rather than uh, us two white guys you know, deciding how to uh, rewrite Oscar history, it should be placed be- in because the hands of people with maybe a more diverse background than us and maybe more well, educated because, background than us. Because it's not just a question of like, oh, should, um, you know, I don't like Capote have beaten Crash in 2005 for Best Picture. It, it, this is also coming from a perspective of, uh, of representation yes. and vo- like voice because a lot of what we've a lot of what we've uh covered and 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 talked about especially films like um you know like, like John Waters films and uh something like Watermelon Man yeah um you know th- those are not especially you know the farther back you go in time the less of an opportunity these films and their filmmakers had to be recognized by a, Absolutely, a, yeah. a board like the Academy. Oh, the Academy. Well, well, well. The Academy. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Right, yeah, which has a history of having mostly older white male voters. And the, it really prohibits a lot of lesser-known movies from... I don't know, getting the attention that they deserve just because they were made by somebody who wasn't white <laughs> or, you know, so many other factors that could have been feeding into it. Or or it was and and maybe just like presented material that was so challenge that was so challenging. Sure. Um, and and I would also I don't know if this is a, you know part of part of the vision but also movies that have uh shown themselves to be especially influential uh throughout time so so like yes. for instance for instance would there be discussion on statue of limitations of uh blue velvet being nominated for for best picture 1986 yeah i mean i think that it really has to do with movies that really have stood the test of time and you know that we don't look back on and kind of like cringe a little bit and uh you know when you think about movies like Gone with the Wind, it's like, doesn't really hold up all that well looking back on it. And it's like, you know, let's, we'll take, we'll of course factor in where it stands in the place of filmmaking, but, you know, how certain things were handled, you know, maybe well, not. And, 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 yeah, and, and this is something that, uh, I, I know I want to talk about in, in, as to how it relates to Dirty Harry. Ooh. So there are there are films that that when you look at them from a from a, a current perspective, from a contemporary perspective, they're they're cringy. But then but sometimes when you look back at them and you say, like, all right, looking at it from the perspective, then it might be it, it it's kind of like, OK, all right, I, I get it like that would not happen today. But but from that perspective, from that time, like, OK, that's cool. Then there are the others that are like, wow, yeah. even for that time, that's still pretty like this is this movie is definitely pushing this type of ideal, uh, the, these type of ideas and this type of messaging, which even then 
was kind of it wasn't one of those it wasn't one of those like oh we didn't we didn't know what was we didn't know things right it's kind of like a yeah you you knew you knew yeah and in a movie like dirty harry uh there's like playful racism for this the sense of you know bringing in humor you're giving me a look yeah, yeah. Anyway, because because we're gonna get to talking about John. So, so before John gets into the synopses, brief synopses yeah. of the the films in the Dirty Harry series, we should note that we each kind of took on different films in the series. We've both seen the original Dirty Harry, celebrating right. its fiftieth anniversary this year, and then we kind of divided up. There there are five in total, and I watched. 1976 is the in, the enforcer the the third dirty harry movie and 1988's the deadpool um right. the the fifth one so and i've also seen part 19- of sudden impact okay so neither of us have seen 1973's magnum force correct i i think i might have seen it at some point but okay. I, I i i i can't talk about it <laughs> okay like, i don't so yeah. uh sudden impact so first of all I'd say that actually, with the exception of the first and the last of these movies, the titles for these are kind of nonsense titles that could be titles for just any action movie. Magnum Force, The Enforcer, and Sudden Impact. Like, Well, it's like, it's like the other non-Dirty Harry movies that Clint Eastwood made. Yeah. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, like the cop, like, like tightrope. And uh, uh, yeah, what's there's there's like there's another one. And, and I'm as I was like trying to look through and say, like, all right, what where are the Dirty Harry movies streaming? It's like, wait a second. Was that one a Dirty Harry movie? No, yeah. Yeah. No, so so Dirty Harry, clearly, that's a, an appropriate title for the first movie. Uh, and then you have the the last one, which is The Deadpool, not to be confused with. Deadpool and that makes so that sense. is where that is where the inspiration came uh, sure. from the name but it's it does make sense in the context of the plot because there is a a Deadpool a a death pool a pool of celebrity deaths um and so let me tell you just briefly about my viewing for these so I watched Dirty Harry and then the next night I saw that HBO had Sudden Impact. So I'm watching Sudden Impact, and then Laura, my wife, uh, comes into the room and she's like, "Hey, would you will you watch the latest episode of Loki with me, real quick?" And I was like, "Sure, no problem. I'll get back to this after." <laughs> so I watch Loki with her, and I go back to HBO to watch it, and it's not in the like continue watching. I'm searching for sudden impact. It is disappeared. And I looked to see, I was like, it was the 31st or something. And I was like, looking back and I was like, is this movie leaving HBO like today? Like, did I start it? And then they took it off while I was watching Loki. And that's exactly what happened. So I did not see the end of the movie. I saw most of it, but I did not see the end of the movie. And (laughs) I was like, that's just so perfect. That's uh, you just got to strike while the iron's hot, I guess, with these uh, streaming movies. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because I had started Sudden Impact and then you said you were going to watch it. So I was like, okay, I'll get back to that one and finish it, time permitting. And then when last night I went on or or, uh, oh, no, today's the third. So I think it was like on the first. Yeah, that I went to watch the rest of it and saw it was gone. And I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? These things happen. That's okay. Yeah. 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 No, what's funny is the Dirty Harry movies that I watched were not streaming on HBO. So I had just kind of, you know, digitally rented them. Anyway, long story short, um, and we'll talk, uh, we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more about, about the Enforcer after the synopses. But in terms of playful, playful racism, playful sexism Uh and all that, I don't. I think the enforcer is less, less, less. So it's um, less playful. It is really. I mean, I, I kind of want to talk about this all as a whole. Sure. After talking about the movies, but it, it's really poorly. It's it's really poorly written. Ah. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm going to just start off with. I wrote my synopsis for Dirty Harry. And then I'm going to read the on the Dirty Harry Wikipedia page the synopses for Magnum Force, The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, and The Deadpool because they're all very brief. Um, but what they do mention is the uh, the famous lines that come from each of the movies, which is I think an important thing to mention along with the plots because you know Dirty Harry. Whether you've seen it or not, you know some of those quotes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an important part of its legacy. So, uh, yeah, here we go. When the going gets tough, the SFPD gets Harry Callahan, whether they like it or not. Harry plays by his own rulebook, which often means the job doesn't always get done in the eyes of the law. Such is the case when there's a sharpshooter incident on a rooftop pool and a cryptic note is left by a self-proclaimed Scorpio killer. He demands $100,000 or else he will kill again each day until he gets the money. Harry and his new partner are on the case, which goes off the rails from minute one. That's my synopsis, because if I get into it, it's just like, and then this happens, and then that, and it's whatever. (laughs) Um, But this is the one where we get the... uh, you know, are you feeling lucky? Well, are you punk? And um, the uh, and then there's Magnum Force, which is two years later. And um, the main theme of this is vigilante justice. And the plot revolves around a group of renegade traffic cops who are executing criminals who have avoided conviction in court. Despite Harry's penchant for strong-arm methods, he does not tolerate cold-blooded murder of the accused and resolves to stop the killers. In this film, Harry's catchphrase is, a man's got to know his limitations. In The Enforcer, um, Harry is teamed with a female partner with no field experience. In 1976, American women had only recently been allowed to fill patrol and investigative assignments in most police bureaus. Okay. Inspector Kate Moore, uh, as they take on a terrorist ring call, uh, calling themselves the People's Revolutionary Strike Force, Harry opposes introducing inexperienced officers to the dangers of police work, whether male or female, and sees the homicide division as too dangerous for his new partner, who worked until recently in the personnel department. 
Though Moore starts out overenthusiastic, she soon proves herself valuable to Harry and matures quickly, earning Harry's respect in the process. Dan, does the Enforcer have any fun taglines, quotes, anything like that? It doesn't say anything. Um, yeah, no, uh, no, I, I could give you, I think the one quote that I wrote down from it is, is the one that's just the most blatantly racist one, Ooh. uh, which is at one point where, you know, as of course he's like, you know, the, the commissioner is yelling at him and they're talking about someone mentions the minority community and he goes by minority community. I suppose you're talking about the hoods. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's racist, it's sexist. There are so many uh, problems that kind of fit into the larger um, larger issues with the series. Gotcha. So then after The Enforcer, we have uh, Sudden Impact. Um, this is the only one that Clint Eastwood directed. Aging but still bitter, Callahan is sent into a small town to follow up a lead in a murder case, which leads him directly to a rape victim who is out to avenge herself and her catatonic sister by killing the people who sexually assaulted them. The film is notable for Callahan's catchphrase, go ahead, make my day. So that one, if I remember what what I saw, it's not that he went there to follow up on a lead in a murder case. He went to that town because he was forced to take a vacation because he uh, had a case like thrown out that he was investigating because he did everything improperly. So the judge was like, uh, yeah, none of this evidence is admissible, so we have to dismiss the case. So I think his that- chief was like, you're taking a vacation. Right, that that happened, and I was trying to remember if it because this is the the guys killed in the car out on this like you know overlook, and isn't he sent down there? I think he's on the case, and then he gets like taken off of the case. I think so, and yeah, and then he ends up back on it by accident, really. And in this one, he also has a dog sidekick who farts a bull, a farting bulldog. Who's uh, uh, who goes between being male and female consistently throughout the movie? Um, yeah. So, oh yeah, this is also the one where he gives a guy a heart attack just by talking to him. Right, he gives a guy a heart attack. Uh, the killer um shoots her assailants from the past in the dick and then shoots them in the head. Uh, RoboCop style. <laughs> uh, yeah, except point blank range. Point blank range. Yeah, shoots him in the dick. Um, okay, and then we have the Deadpool from 1988, and uh, Harry finds that he is among the subjects of a Deadpool, a game betting on deaths of celebrities. Someone tries to rig the game by killing the celebrities on one's on one player's list. Harry's catchphrase in this movie is "You're shit out of luck." Okay, um, so I think that. The Deadpool, and Dan, you you just saw this one recently, so you can correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but is this the one where he maybe also coined the phrase, opinions are like assholes, everyone's got one? He definitely says it. I wasn't sure if he coined that phrase. It may be the first time that's ever been said. 
Uh, I was trying to look up the origin of it, and, it, and there's nothing that's clear, but this movie does come up a few times. So he definitely does say that. Yeah. In, in the Deadpool, which I like, by the way, I, I just to no, it this... sounds plot wise like a pretty interesting one. I kind of want to go back and watch it, despite the fact that full disclosure, I was kind of like pretty sickened by these movies, uh, especially with the, you know, current political climate of the of the police and uh, Harry Callahan's shoot first, ask questions later attitude. Uh, he definitely feels like he has a license to kill, and I do not condone that type of thing. Right. Yeah. He's and and, and first of all, so in just watching it as an entertainment movie, if I turn everything kind of, if I just shut everything shut everything off, and I watch it as a piece of of just pure fiction, right. I enjoy the first one. And I enjoyed the Deadpool. And I, I would actually say the Deadpool doesn't suffer as much from those problems as as the as at least the original Dirty Harry and definitely the Enforcer. Well, I so, do have to say, first of all, that Dirty Harry, the first movie, benefits greatly from Andy Robinson, who plays the killer, the Scorpio killer, who is excellent very yes. very menacing uh just does an incredible job given some of the source material uh and this one is very much inspired and many things are taken directly from uh the zodiac killer the zodiac yeah. killings which happened in the san francisco in the bay area and uh shortly before this time was it still going on at this time uh, I, he might have been. I yeah. I know and that. I think in Harry is partially based on one of the cops. Yeah, David Toshi, who was played by um, Mark Ruffalo in Zodiac. Was it Mark Ruffalo? Yeah. yeah. And in Zodiac, there's a scene where David Toshi comes out of the theater and he's seeing Dirty Harry. Right. Yes. Yes. So um, yeah. I. It's. I think that for me, a movie like this is harder to not think about those kind of things because it's Clint Eastwood, and just knowing his politics, it can be a little challenging to kind of separate those things. Whereas if I'm well, watching something like, I don't know, Terminator, it's. I think it's a little bit different because it's like, a, you know there's science fiction elements and like there's things that don't really set it in our real world right yes so anyway that's so when you look at it here's the thing is it's one of those movies where even look at looking at it from the 1970s perspective it's still really problematic it it pushes it pushes the idea that we should look up to cops who play yeah. by their own rules and make and make their own uh, determinations that maybe aren't as much based on evidence. Yeah, and it, it, it we're given and and there's a lot of there's a lot of groups in this that it, it's kind of like they're pushing they're, they're like there's a propaganda here and uh -huh. uh, one of the things I wrote down was like 
and so we know now, at least based on what we've heard from like John Ehrlichman from the Nixon administration, that the war on drugs was fabricated so that they could have an excuse to arrest uh, yes. people of color and and hippies. So and it's like Dirty Harry is like a lieutenant in the war on drugs. And I was curious and it occurred to me that all of the Dirty Harry movies, five Dirty Harry movies have only come out uh under republican administrations. Oh. That's two under really Nixon, fascinating. Two under Nixon, right? One under Ford and uh and two under Reagan. Yes. Uh So so speaking of Reagan, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from a uh a Reagan speech. Seen in the Senate Budget Committee this past week was a disappointing one I think for the American people. They seem to be in full-scale retreat from spending cuts and are talking about raising people's taxes again. When push comes to shove, I guess it's always easier to let the taxpayer take the fall. No matter, well, let them be forewarned. No matter how well-intentioned they might be, no matter what their illusions might be, I have my veto pen drawn and ready for any tax increase that Congress might even think of sending up. And I have only one thing to say to the tax increasers. Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> Huge laugh from the audience. Huge of laugh. Co- of course. Of course. I mean, fucking Reagan was a movie cowboy. Yeah. They both did movies with monkeys. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Um, but so it, so it's problematic in, in that respect. And I actually, I broke it down. There's like four groups of people that... Dirty Harry and or Clint Eastwood are at war with in these. Okay. And it's Dirty Harry versus women, people of color, liberals, and bureaucrats. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. the women, I mean, I, I mean, I was kind of interested. I was like, all right, so Tyne Daly plays his Tyne Daly, who's, you know, not, it's not like they cast Rebecca de Mornay. Right. Uh, you know, they got, you got Tyne Daly uh, uh, playing his, his I wish partner. They would have. I love Rebecca de Mornay. Yeah. I mean, in 1976, I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But Tyne Daly, and then it's like, they kind of just make her this they make it seem like she's not at all qualified for the position she's in. And they actually imply that maybe she's not qualified, but like, oh, there's quotas they have to hit. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, Tyne Daly, by the way, is in The Enforcer. She plays Kate Moore. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's in The Enforcer. And she is, I even, I was reading and I mean, you know, it's, it's IMDb trivia. So take it with a grain of salt. But there's a scene where they're in an, an autopsy room and, you know, it, the guys are all, you know, gagging and joking. Sorry, I, I should be clearer with my terms there. They're laughing and joking. Uh-huh. She and then I was reading an IMDb trivia that that I forget it was the director or, or the editor who who decided they wanted to add a little green tint to her face to make it really look like she's sick. And and I mean, she plays it, too. And she got she's kind of like a shitty cop. Um. So there's there's that. He's also got uh female film critics. So like so first there's uh in in the Deadpool uh there's this, uh, a female film critic who's on the Deadpool list and apparently she was created to to represent Pauline Kale. Oh, now, really? Pauline Kale 
Clint Eastwood, this this is this weird story. This is and this is from Sandra Locke's autobiography. Sandra Locke, who is in uh Sudden Impact and was married to gotcha. Eastwood. Yeah. Uh, right, 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 um, right, right. So uh she in her autobiography wrote that uh that after uh Pauline so Pauline Kale gave a bad review of um I I, I don't know. I don't know if it was double. I, I it might have been um so it might have been sorry um sudden impact. Are you gonna say double impact? I w- I almost said double <laughs> impact first. I was well, no first. I was gonna say dirty Harry, and then uh-huh. sudden impact. But like double impact de- definitely leapt in there. Um, but anyway, after she gave the movie a bad review, Eastwood asked a psychiatrist to read her reviews of his past work. And do an analysis. Oh, by the way, according to Sandra Locke, Eastwood also memorized these reviews. Wow. And apparently this analysis concluded that Pauline Kael was physically attracted to Clint Eastwood. And because she couldn't have him, she hated him. And the, and and he wrote off the bad reviews as just vengeance. How wow. shitty is I mean like that's just so shitty on so many levels. Um, <laughs> that's incredible, right? Uh, right, and it's I actually to be honest with you, John, I have a really complicated relationship with Clint Eastwood movies because I know how how like shitty he can be. Yeah, but he he is also I and I don't always like him in movies, but like. I like In the Line of Fire. I'm not going to stop liking In the Line of Fire. I so, love Unforgiven. All right. So it's it's interesting that you bring up In the Line of Fire because that's one that I watched somewhat recently. And I was thinking, you know, okay, so he directed that one and he stars in it. And, he did not direct it. Oh, he did not direct it. Wolfgang Peterson. Oh, why did I think that he directed it? Well, I don't know. Because he was directed because he won the Oscar for Best Director like earlier the year it came out. Oh, so, all right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, it's just so funny because that one, it's like, you know, his love interest in it. I can't remember who it is at the Rene moment. Rene Russo. Rene Russo. That's right. For some reason, if my mind is like, Laura Linney. No, she's Rene interested. <laughs> yes. But it's like, she's significantly younger than he is. Yeah. And uh, he has like, I'm going to go ahead and say it like zero sexual charisma in like any of the like romantic scenes. It just feels like an awkward old man, like a narcissistic yeah. old man, you know, uh, just kind of tooting his own horn. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, my favorite parts of In the Line of Fire have less to do with Clint Eastwood than they do like the the editing, the pace. Um, oh, yeah. It's John it's Malkovich. A, jo- oh, my God. John Malkovich was so good in that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oscar nominated. Anyway, I know we're not we're not talking about that. But so. So anyway, so so I feel like like Eastwood's definitely got this thing uh with women and then with people of color it's it so it's not a hundred percent but like maybe seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the low-level criminals, yeah, your the bank robbers, liquor store robbers, your yep. bank robbers are people Diner of color. Robbers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now your higher level criminals, your organized crime figures, are uh-huh. still ethnic, but they Italian. are not 
people of color. Italian, I think Greek. I think the guy, I feel like the guy who he gives the heart attack to at the oh, beginning of Sudden Impact, I think is was, was Greek. There was a guy, the guy who was in, he was in Godfather, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, that's that's makes a lot of sense. And I definitely picked up on the fact that the people that do commit the crimes that aren't like the the big, the major crimes of the movies all seem to be, you know, black mostly. They throw a few white guys in there and there's more when it's the, uh, in the enforcer, the, um, like the people's liberation army, whatever it's supposed to be like the people who kidnapped Patty Hearst. (gasps) Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Which we talked about on our serial mom. That's right. Yeah. So the people that, and it was, it was kind of based on them. So, I mean, that's, and I guess that's another group that he's, that he's up against here. Um, is the counterculture, right. whether it's like the, and it's, and it's San Francisco in the early 1970s. Sure. So it's kind of after the, the heyday of, of the hippie movement, but still like San Francisco is like, you know, a counterculture capital. Yeah. So you've got, so, and then you, so now you have this movie and it's why like they weren't even sure if they were going to make, um, I forget if it was the Deadpool or Sudden Impact because San Francisco was kind of like, uh, I don't yeah. know if we want you to make this movie here. And it wasn't well, originally going to be set in San Francisco. Yeah, and Sudden Impact, you know, doesn't, mostly doesn't take place in San Francisco. Right. So there's that at yeah. least. But most of the movies open or at some point near the opening, they have like the shots of the waterfront and you see yeah. the port of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's. So, I mean, it's a great city to shoot in. It's a great, like, you know, action movie oh, city. It's a great action movie. It's a great espionage city. Like, the conversation is a movie it's a that's great, set there that works really well. It's a really great city for movies that are about divorced dads trying to win back their children by dressing up as an elderly British nanny. Or widowers who are taking care of their three daughters with the help of their brother-in-law and best friend uncle joey it's a really great city to make a movie about a lounge singer in from reno uh who needs to hide away uh so she hides away in a convent oh ab- absolutely <laughs> just as good as it is to make a movie about uh nicholas cage and sean connery and ed harris <laughs> Yeah, although I'd put that one kind of just no. uh, on a very small, specific island, <laughs> just in the middle of the bay there. Yeah, that does. Uh, the Rock does have that awesome. Uh, it does uh, have chase, a gr- in the beginning. Chasing. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> sorry. So getting back to getting back to Dirty Harry. So there are. There are, we're going to take some time off from the critique, but there are some really iconic, like the quotes, and there are some other really iconic moments in. Dirty Harry, and I I have to share when I watched the original Dirty Harry, I I had such a, a laugh out loud moment, and I think like growing up in the age of the Zucker Abrams Zucker oh, parodies uh-huh. and Mel Brooks, like we as kids saw a lot of these movies before seeing the movies that they parody. Oh, just like we mentioned on the UHF episode, we we're more familiar with the Weird Al parodies or the Weird Al polka versions of the songs than we were with the original songs. Right. And w- and one thing I love about like the Naked Gun and uh you know an airplane is that they make references without kind of like pausing the story 
to do them. So when I first saw The Naked Gun, I had no idea that any of it was parodying Dirty Harry. (laughs) Right. So the scene that you're referencing, it's like, it's such a subtle reference. But when you watch them back to back, you are just like, oh, wow. So I'm going to play first the one from... Dirty Harry, and then immediately after, you're going to hear the one from The Naked Gun. Oh, Drebin, I don't want any more trouble like you had last year on the South Side. Understand? That's my policy. Yes. Well, when I see five weirdos dressed in togas stabbing a guy in the middle of the park in full view of a hundred people, I shoot the bastards. That's my policy. That was a Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar, you moron. You killed five actors. Good ones. It's so funny. But first of all, uh, first of all, Harry Callahan, you could simply arrest the guy or, you know, maybe, you know, warn him or try to get, arrest him somehow before just shooting him. Yeah. He also I mean, shoots to kill. He doesn't like shoot the leg or something. Right. Right. No, and he's already established, like, he knows the guy isn't armed other than the butcher knife, I guess, and the hard-on, but... And the, yeah. So, uh, since we're talking about the references and the parodies, first I want to play the two scenes, um, one from the beginning, one from the end, where we do hear the famous uh, Are You Feeling Lucky scene, and then I'm going to play a few other variations of it. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Waits the gun at him. Oh. <laughs> All right, and then this one is from the end of the movie, and I'm going to get to use my new sound effect. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But 
Being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> so, Dan, I want to play you a series of uh, references to uh, this classic scene. I will start with the movie The Mask, starring Jim Carrey. You have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well... Do ya? Punks? They have like little bang flags. (laughs) And now, if you're wondering if Jim Carrey, who was also in the Deadpool... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I knew you were. I, was, I knew you were yeah. thinking that. Uh, My hand was up. <laughs> if you're wondering if that's the only time that he's referenced a scene, you're wrong because in Bruce Almighty, this happens. Come on, man. calm down. Do not be God. You do not have his powers. <laughs> if that was God, then I'm Clint Eastwood. Holy hell! Be careful what you wish for, punk. No! Uh-uh! Nope! Nope! I am a reasonable, sane human being. The 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world. I'm not Clint Eastwood. I'm Bruce Nolan. Bruce Nolan. I'm Bruce No! Clint! And uh, Jim Carrey also did a lot of... Um, Clint Eastwood impressions in his uh, stand-up days, his early stand-up. So clearly this was just like in his utility belt and he found opportunities to to bust it out. Though interestingly, that was not how he got the part in Deadpool. That was with his uh, an Elvis routine. Oh, was it an Elvis thing that he was doing? Yeah, he auditioned for an Elvis. Well, his role in Deadpool, he's got a small role as a uh, a rock star who's appearing in a movie directed by a uh, character played by Liam Neeson. Oh, my God. And Yeah, that one's got uh, a lot of uh, celeb- Patricia Clarkson. Uh, is it's in her, that first, her, her first movie. Yeah, Patricia Clarkson. Oh, that was her first? She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's uh, she's she's great. Um, but yeah, so Jim Carrey plays this, uh, rock star who, uh, hit, hit, hit the sound, hit the sound effect. Spoiler alert. Is one of the victims of the Deadpool. Gotcha. Yes. I would, <laughs> it happens in like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of the movie. So okay. not really a spoiler alert, but we've got the sound effect. So, so, uh, this also comes up in an episode, of course, of Family Guy. What the hell, Lois? Why don't I have a real checkbook? Peter, where do checks come from? Uh, when a mommy and daddy love each other? That's why. Lois, I want my own checkbook, and I want it now. Ooh, I like when Dad talks tough. He sounds like Dirty Harry. You gotta ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Oh, Mr. Harry. You're really not going to like what I have to say. It's a leprechaun. 
and then if anybody's familiar with the, I think it's 2011 uh, movie Hick with Chloe Grace Moretz, there is a reference to this. Now I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or five? Now ask yourself, do I feel lucky? Well, do you punk? She's kind of standing in front of a mirror. It's a very taxi driver. It's Mm. almost like she's mixing up the two uh, references. Likely. And and Dan, there's also a hilarious reference in another parody movie, Loaded Weapon 1, uh, which takes place after a big shootout at a convenience store. I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking... Did he fire 173 times or 174? Well, do you feel lucky, punk? So, uh, yeah. Nice. And then the the other really, really big one, of course, is the go ahead, make my day. So I'm going to go ahead and play the clip from that one from Sudden Impact, which might come back at the end. I wouldn't know because HBO took it off. Mid view. So here's the one from the beginning. Go ahead. Make my day. That one doesn't have much fanfare leading up to it. It's really just, that's all it is. Yeah. Uh, so we've already heard the Ronald Reagan, go ahead, make my day. Uh, this one is from a, uh, I don't know if this is actually in an episode, but it's from an ad for an upcoming season of Justified with Timothy Oliphant. Buy your Timothy Oliphant swag at our Tee Public store. Yeah. The situation feels very familiar. In fact, I know what you're thinking. Did he fire 17 shots or 16? I think I may have lost track myself. So I suppose there's only one question you should be asking yourself. Do I feel lucky? Why wasn't I watching the other hand? Justified. Season premiere Wednesday at 10, only on FX. Sorry, that one, I thought that I mislabeled that one as a make my day one. That is another lucky punk one. (laughs) But this one, uh, this Borat clip is definitely a make my day one. I, uh, movie star at Dirty Herald. Yes. Come on and make my day, Jew. <laughs> so, Wait, was that from the show? Or was that from uh, the LG show? Or that, was that... that one, he goes into a gun store and asks what gun would be best to kill oh, a right. Jew. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay. There's one more, but I'm going to wait to play it. And you'll know why. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sure there are... Oh, wait. I have I have another one that I can play. <laughs> a stranger rode into Big Barry's because he heard tell of Barry's great grub at down-home prices. Table for one, stranger. Go on, Big Barry. Make my dinner. So Big Barry cooked up his famous chicken and ribs, mouth, water, and seafood, a juicy steak, and a steer burger, too. Great grub, Big Barry. Now everyone knows about Big Barry's great grub and down-home prices. I'm Big Barry. I'll make your dinner and lunch, too. Big Barry's. Big grub and Rocky Point, Long Island. 
So I think that there was also another go ahead, make my dinner from like a frozen dinner company, like a Stouffer's kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find it. That's the only one that I found. But I could swear there was a go ahead, make my lasagna or something. That was There's a line. Yeah, there's a lot. Oh, uh, OK. I think I know what the other one is that you have. <laughs> OK. Oh, you, you think you know what it is? I do. I do. Does it, does it, were you going to save it for when we announce the next movie we're covering? Oh, yes, it, yes, it is. Yeah. I thought that you okay. were talking about the, uh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was, it, it, as I'm, it, I mean, yes, but as I was, um, I, I've been sitting here thinking the whole time and I was remembering the line, but I couldn't remember what movie it was from. And then it kind of came together and I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. So it's in yeah. our next uh, movie. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, these iconic lines that are they they far surpass the you know the fame of the movies themselves. Because even when I was talking to you about "Go Ahead, Make My Day," you were like, "Oh, I thought that was in the first one," and it's like, no, that's in like the fourth. So right, uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't know if he repeated that one. No, yeah. no, no. Uh, yeah, they just kind of like. I uh, got that lightning in a bottle two times uh, with with the memorable lines. Yeah, the other ones didn't didn't like you're in deep shit. Of, of course, I think he only says it like once or like I think he says it like maybe twice in, in yeah. that or maybe three times. I don't know. In the Deadpool. Yeah. So. Dan. Well. Yes. I was going to ask you if you had anything else that you wanted to talk about before we move on to. What we do on this show, which is talk about how we could bring these movies back. Right. Well, and before we go into our ideas, I did want to mention some of the other, uh, you know, the ways that this property has lived on beyond the, uh, you know, the theatrical releases. Uh huh. So, uh, so first of all, it, apparently Clint Eastwood said after making The Enforcer that he wasn't going to make another Dirty Harry movie. So... Uh, Warner Brothers decided to uh, publish a bunch of books. That makes sense. And they created a pen name and just had all these different authors write all of these books. And so if you look it up, it's Dirty Harry novels by Dane Hartman. And there are 12 of them that came out from August 1981 to March 1983. Okay. We've we've got Duel for Cannons, Death on the Docks, The Long Death, The Mexico Kill, Family Skeletons, City of Blood, Massacre at Russian River, oh my God. Hatchet Men, The Killing Connection, Blood of the Strangers, Death in the Air, and The Dealer of Death. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so not, not included, uh, you know, on the summer reading list. So, yeah. Okay. But that's interesting. Uh, so there's plenty of source material. Should there be any future projects? Right, right. Well, and there have also been, so like there were rumors that Gran Torino, which came out in 2008, was going to be a Dirty Harry movie, but like Clint Eastwood has has you know gone on the record now he said in uh there was a a book about clint eastwood american rebel the life of clint eastwood that was published in 2009 by mark elliott where eastwood said that uh he, he was just kind of like making fun he was like no dirty harry harry's retired harry's too old and though he said in 
uh, there was another book published uh, in 92 by Michael Munn called Clint Eastwood, Hollywood's Loner. Uh-huh. Where he does say uh, about Dirty Harry that it's fun once in a while to have a character you can go back to. It's like revisiting an old friend you haven't seen for a long time. You figure, oh, I'll go back and see how he thinks about things, feels about things now. So mm. that kind of leads me to where I am on this. Now, first of all, fantasy of fantasy, we would have a franchise crossover in the Warner Brothers family and where Harry where Dirty Harry Callahan teams up with his cousin, Debbie Callahan from the police Academy series. (laughs) And they just, they just beat the shit out of everybody. Yeah. They have a lot of the same, you know, mentalities about law enforcement, but I'd say he's more of a tackleberry, but. Uh, Well, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that you could find more Dirty Harry. I'm pretty sure tackleberry. There's like some type of Dirty Harry reference. Oh, I'm sure. Police Academy. But yeah. So, but yeah, the Debbie, the Debbie and Harry, Debbie, Harry, uh, Debbie, Debbie Harry. Callahan and, ha- and Harry Callahan team up. Um, but no. So actually, here's here's where I am on this. And yeah, like Clint Eastwood is um, 91. Yes. 91 now. So clearly the possibilities of something like this happening are are you know basically there's there's no chance there's like right. the slightest percentage of a chance but what i imagined was kind of inspired a bit by the tone of logan especially of like the quieter moments in logan between patrick stewart and, right. and hugh jackman now what i was imagining because here's the thing so you could do a prequel you could do like you you know because by the time we meet dirty harry he's like 40 and he's already dirty harry you could do a prequel but again that involves making a hero out of somebody and you're basically showing like how does this guy become this you know violent cop and it's kind of like i don't want to be rooting for that guy and like you know uh, actually, I was going to say Ryan Gosling, but Ryan Gosling now is the same age that Eastwood was when he made. Yeah, but he Dirty still Harry. looks 15 years younger. Right, right, right. I was thinking I was like Ryan Gosling would be a really good, like younger Dirty Harry. I was thinking the same thing, but I don't. I don't. Yeah, because it, it, you're it's, right. It is somehow going to justify. No, 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 no. You're right. Because so let's say we do have this movie. I, I would call it Harry. If I had to. And it's, yeah, it's him becoming this person who he is, who breaks all the rules, who, you know, maybe there are reasons why he hates women so much. (laughs) Like, it would be bad. It would be really bad because it's like, you wouldn't, you're right. You wouldn't want to root for this person. Yeah. Yeah. So what I looked at and I was like, all right, what is going to make me actually going to want to watch a six Dirty Harry movie? And yes, Harry's retired. No, Harry is not on active police duty, but there's a, there's a trial and it, think of the Derek Chauvin trial mm -hmm. and imagine something similar to that. And Harry, who is maybe he's in a, in a, like in a home 
and where really all they do is is watch TV and they talk about what they see on what they watch on TV. Okay. What if this is Harry's reckoning and what if it's like what what if Harry like what if this is Harry saying like before I die do I need to atone for some things? Uh-huh. And through watching and I was thinking I was like this could be a play. Like <laughs> it, it, yeah. it could be a play where you have the trial going on and you have Harry responding to it and thinking like, is that guy me? Uh-huh. Is that me 40 years ago? Right. You know, and like you know, I got away and I'm a hero and I was on the cover of San Francisco magazine. Like the, they call him the Wyatt Earp of San Francisco. And he, he's like, I, you know, did all these, you know, things. And I, I definitely, I put all these criminals away, but did I really do right by the law? Uh huh. And, or did I, was I, like maybe this is when maybe he's experiencing, you know, this reckoning, this, you know, uh, defund the police. Maybe you said it in 2020. I don't know. Said it in 2020 during COVID when there's a pandemic and he has nothing to do but right. sit and watch TV. Although then how is there a trial going on? Anyway, so for that's Zoom. my that's my <laughs> I mean, yeah, or I don't know. Or what if what if you've got a series of trials and everyone is like, you know what? I grew up reading about this, about this real life, like this Harry Callahan and Sam and I said, that's what I want to be. And it's like, I want to lock up criminals no matter what I have to do. And uh-huh. that's who inspired me. And what if he's like, I don't know, does he have to testify or something? I don't know. I kind of like it with just him experiencing this trial and the movie being about how that guy who got away with it because he did all this shit back before there were any type of consequences. How is he processing this? Is he rooting for that cop? Is he ashamed of himself what's the is there a reckoning so and to me there was something and i was thinking i was like well how do you take a movie like that and make it um you know and make it resonate and and that's why i thought like james mangold would be a a a kind of an obvious choice maybe just because i was thinking so much of logan Uh um but i was like michael mann michael mann that'd be interesting it would be an interesting for Michael Mann. And I was thinking of some other director. I thought about Patty Jenkins. Cause I was thinking about monster. Okay. okay. And, um, and I was like, you know what Patty, I know like Patty Jenkins, we think now like, you know, wonder woman. Right. Um, and, and she kicks ass with, with that. I believe that's on your, your, the lineup of, uh, of, of yeah. Films. Uh, yeah. that played last night at oh. the, 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 for when we're recording this. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so that played on July 2nd, right? So, yeah. Um, so that was kind of who I was, who I was thinking about. Um, it would be interesting to see how a filmmaker like Barry Jenkins. Uh huh. Oh, you could do Patty and Barry Jenkins team them up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make it a, <laughs> a yeah, the Jenkins. 
Um, I, wow, didn't even make that connection. Um, but yeah, I don't know that. So that's, that's where I think, uh, that's where I think you're, you're, you're going to get your best, your highest quality. Yeah. Dirty Harry movie. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I had some similar thoughts, you know, clearly I, I also did think about like, what if there was a prequel and then I came to pronounce the same conclusion that you did where it's like, Oh, about how somebody is a giant asshole. <laughs> like how that, how that shapes up. But uh, no, I was thinking a little bit more about, and I don't think it could happen just because, uh, you know, he, he's just too old, I think. But, you know, if there was a place for him to be in, in this character one more time in a, in a way that he doesn't necessarily have to be very, active but what i was thinking is like you know maybe there is a uh somebody who's on the san francisco police force who uh uh disobeys all the orders is essentially a modern day dirty harry who plays by his own rules and you know uh and maybe he's taken it too far and they're trying to get somebody to control him so they bring in the only person they know who can think like him, Harry Callahan, um, kind of like a Silence of the Lambs <laughs> type of situation, like get into the mind of the of the criminal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that that would it would never happen because there's no way that Clint Eastwood would ever admit that like his character was wrong to do what he did. Uh, right. I, yeah. I do feel like Clint Eastwood has such ownership of that character and that character's beliefs so i don't know it's it is a tough one i mean i think i i do like the idea of you know like maybe do reboot the series and like do it better and and give it the uh the the proper treatment uh, and really just honor the the thing that makes dirty harry dirty harry there his name is dirty harry because he gets all the dirtiest jobs of uh, he's like the micro of the San Francisco Police Department for any reality TV fans, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, like cast somebody who's, you know, just like a, a younger, I uh, kind of somebody who's got like a good, I don't know, darker side to them that makes that gives them the, I don't know, the drive to kind of play by their own rules. I was thinking Riz Ahmed would be really cool as a, a dirty oh, Harry. Oh yes, yeah. Um, yes. My mind obviously went to Ryan Gosling at first because I was like, he's got that like brooding thing. But then I was like, first of all, no, it it shouldn't just be another white guy. But if also, re- but also it's yeah. like, I've already seen Ryan Gosling as the cop that I only ever want him to be. And that's in the nice guys. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I, and I, yeah, I was thinking, I was, I was, I think a lot about, uh, you know, Blade Runner 2049 with right. Ryan Gosling too. Yeah. But, but it's not no, like I, he was Riz playing Ahmed, the like Harrison Ford character. He was his own person. No. Yeah. Riz Ahmed. Great choice. Thank you. Great choice. Also, because I, lo- I mean, I, I, if you're going to remake Dirty Harry, and of course, the obvious, especially as I was watching the Deadpool, I was like, man, like Liam Neeson at a certain point uh-huh. would have been a great, like, new Dirty Harry. Uh, not, uh-huh. at, not at this point. And he like kind 90s. Of, yeah, like before he started doing basically like Eastwood yeah. type roles in, you know, every type of situation where he has to avenge something. Right. Yeah. So. 
Um, so, uh, but I love the idea of Riz Ahmed. I think, you know, he's kind of, I, I think he can definitely present like a cop, but I can yeah. very easily see him being the cop who doesn't give a shit about authority. Right. And is like, fuck it. Like, this is my job. My job is to catch criminals. And that is what I am going to do. And, and also in terms of like, the, aside from the fact that as an actor, he's a great actor for it in terms of rebooting this, a series with a lot of problems in terms of race. It's a big, not casting a uh, white totally. guy. Yeah. You know, I think that also a big problem that I had with Clint Eastwood is that as an actor, he's just so wooden. Like there's, I never feel like there's anything behind like what's written on the page for him. I never feel like there's any depth to his characters. I, I mean, I haven't seen everything he's been in. I liked him in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but I think that's because that character is meant to be so mysterious. Oh, I've got one. The only one that I can think of, and this is part of why I, I, I like it so much, is Unforgiven. Unforgiven, I haven't seen in a long time. I don't remember hating him in Million Dollar Baby. Um, but like oh, I yeah. think that he I think that he had a little bit more depth there. But but he does his he characters also, What's up? He also does a really good job of casting actors who can do that. Yeah. Because I was thinking about Million Dollar Baby. It's like, well, you got Morgan Freeman and Hillary Swank right there. And right. He's Morgan Freeman in Unforgiven. Um, even Gene, Gene Hackman's character. What I love about Unforgiven is it's kind of like the one movie of his that feels like some type of effort at redemption for all of the violence oh. he's done on film. <laughs> and Unforgiven uh, being of, uh, well, and Unforgiven being a movie that kind of frowns upon violence and looks at it as a necessary evil. I need to watch that one again. A, a pleasure. I'll try to watch I that one again. I rewatched it. I, I I mean, definitely within the past couple of years and, yeah. you know, talk well, about a movie. But anyway, I, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. So just circling back, just circling back. So what I'm right. talking about is how like, you know, his in, in as Dirty Harry uh, and in some of the other roles, you know, he never he's he seems like he's maybe at certain points supposed to be acting sympathetic and acting like he cares about other people. But I just never get that. I think that Clint Eastwood is just too much of a narcissist to mm. really believably uh, have compassion for another character in a movie that he's in. Which is why it makes so much sense that he really became the the producer and uh, right. director of so many of his movies so that I, he could kind of, I was thinking about this watching, I not in this context, I was thinking, I was like, you know, Clint was really smart in getting into the whole directing and producing game a little, uh, you know, like on the early side yeah. in, in his career, because he started directing in the early 70s. Right. And it's like, he was really smart because he got to really like kind of control his brand. Yeah. Yeah, and you know his brand works. People go to see his or went to see his movies, I should say. Uh and definitely in the 70s, 80s, even in the 90s. Uh you know, it was a it was a big deal when when he had a movie coming out and it's almost just like he played a trick on everybody. At least that's the way that I see it. But uh that's kind of classic narcissist behavior, right? 
So yeah, but but what, uh, I, what I mean is that somebody like Riz Ahmed uh, has so much depth and can really, yes. really, really uh, show you that it's not just the the words on the page. There's something way more than that. Well, and you know what? And that's where we might want to even not just reboot the series by remaking Dirty Harry, but actually give that that kind of origin story with Riz Ahmed in the role because then Mm -hmm. you're you're getting the beginnings and you're getting the motivation and it's not justifying something it's showing you who the who the character is right um the only just real quick the only way that you'd be able to justify something and i'm not saying that you should would be to uh, make it clear that harry callahan is on the autism spectrum and the things that he does as, uh, you know, an officer of the law and just as a, you know, person living in the world are a result of, you know, this inhibitor in him that, you know, makes him act certain ways. Or, you know, it's like, I am here to stop this crime. I will stop this crime. And that, oh, there, I, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just saying that that's the only way that you could justify that oh. behavior without making it just be like, nope, this is just, you know, somebody who's selfish and, you know. Yeah. And, and like, I, there's been controversy over the representation of autism on, in, on oh. film, especially the, the new, um, Oh, what's her name? The singer who made, she made a movie about like an autistic oh, singer. Sia. Sia. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it it's, it, it's, it's really gotten a, a, a lot of, you know, criticism yeah. and rightfully so. Of course. Yeah. I, I feel like that would, this, that would be nothing compared to this. You know no, what no, I just no, no, discovered, no, no, no. John? What's so. Up? Two notes. First of all, I want to say uh, regarding like kind of the the emotional aspect of Eastwood, I noticed that the movies that he has directed and not starred in have had much more of an emotional core. And I'm talking about Changeling. Changeling. I was just thinking right? of Changeling. Um, uh, Mystic River. Right. Mystic River. Mm-hmm. Letters from Iwo Jima. Right. Definitely. Those are kind of the, those are the three that as I'm looking at his filmography, I'm thinking I was like, those movies had a lot of heart, but they Invictus as well. Uh-huh. Um, I was like, those movies, they had a lot of heart and he directed them, but not not in them. Yeah. Um, but so he's got no, he's got a movie coming out this year. Which one does he have coming out this year? According, I mean, according to his Wikipedia page, Cry Macho. Oh, In, Cry I Macho. Did hear about that. He's directing and he's playing a former radio star who is hired to return a young man in Mexico to his father in the United States. Oh, I, yes, I saw the trailers. This was... I think this was supposed to be a pre-COVID release. Okay, yeah, because it's coming out in September this year. Oh, yeah, well, production... No, production took place during COVID. During? I feel uh, like I saw a trailer for this at some point. Because it says he... Uh, it was October 2020 that it was... 
it um that it was kind of like reported that he was doing it and then it says that they shot for two months in new mexico during the covid19 pandemic is there a trailer out for this um i let's find out yeah it <laughs> anyway, looks like it so it, it it's real i mean i'm sure there is if you said you saw yeah. a trailer for it yeah, yeah that makes okay three months sense. ago a trailer came out yeah so um so interesting, you know, Eastwood still still up and still doing it. Ninety one, and I'm interested considering the themes of, right. of this. Uh, curious to see how that's gonna wind up. Yeah, um, I don't remember if I heard any of his political thoughts really since like the Romney campaign. Uh, so was that which, when he talked to the chair? I think that's when he talked to the chair, and of course, looking back, it's like. Okay, well, that wouldn't have been as bad as maybe we we uh, thought it would have been, but uh, now that we know a little bit better, but you know, um, still, it was just like put a bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm just kind of not I'm not asking questions, and we kind of know from these films where where he stands on things and and yeah. my my stance on eastwood is pretty you know it's like it's not like i've ever been a huge clint eastwood fan yeah. so sometimes i feel like he uh, has his characters be a certain way about uh feel a certain way about other races just so that he can justify using slurs you're talking about gran torino <laughs> Gran Torino and Dirty Harry, like Gran Torino and Dirty, but Gran Torino, it's like a plot point. Oh, absolutely, and it made me feel it's so like uncomfortable say, when character. I saw that. Oh, it made me feel so uncomfortable. And when people talk about that movie as a movie that they like, I feel I just feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, how did you not just like cringe while watching that movie? Like, it made me feel so sick. It's cringy. I think you don't cringe because I feel like at least when I watched it, I went in, I I went in knowing that like, okay, he's like, it's going to turn around kind of, but it's also, it's just, it's like just littered with a lot of, it basically makes the argument that like a little casual racism isn't bad. There's a scene with him and John Carroll Lynch Uh uh, that I used in a, I made a video in grad school and it was all like um stereotypes and slurs in film and television oh. and i used a scene from gran torino of, of course yeah uh it was a little more recent at the time and it's the scene where he walks into the barber shop where john carroll lynch is and they're just throwing uh racial slurs back and forth yeah. at each other like dumb Pollock and yeah like, stinking right. Irish john carroll lynch possibly the zodiac killer in zodiac <sighs> You tell me. Maybe it's Charles Fleischer. We don't know. Possibly the Zodiac Killer. Definitely awesome in Zodiac. Definitely awesome. Definitely yeah. awesome. All right. Yeah. So, John, anything else that you have to add about uh, about Dirty Harry? Uh, I don't have anything to add, but why don't we play that last uh, Dirty Harry reference clip to lead into our episode for next week? Oh, Yes. I don't want to do business with you deadbeats anyway. Thank you. The only one I think I can deal with is that Growl and Poe's daughter. I think she understands me. You leave her alone, you... (laughs) Go ahead. Make my millennial.
Millennium. <laughs> yes, the time has come. We're talking about one of my all-time favorites, 1988 Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. I'm so excited. Like, I'm going to be going to see it at the, um, the we're calling it the open-air cinema uh, uh-huh. next weekend. Um, and... I feel like I'm also just going to watch it before that at home just so I, you know, can just to get into it. It's just so good. Very rewatchable. It's so rewatchable. It's one of those movies that, like we were saying before, has truly stood the test of time. Uh, Yeah, it's just delicious. I love this movie. Can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) Delicious indeed. So... Dan, any uh, last thoughts? Everybody obviously should email us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Check out that link tree for all sorts of stuff. Uh, Yeah. Vote for Statue of Limitations. Uh, Check out the uh, Northwest Film... I'm fucking it up. NWfilm.org. NWfilm.org. And I was about to say have a happy... Fourth of July, but if you're listening to this, uh, then it is has already been the Fourth of July. So that's right. We we hope that you had a safe and restful Fourth of July weekend, and that is all I have to say about that. Yeah, well, Dan, while you're riding in the back of a SFPD cruiser, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs>